Your attitudes are able to create a lovely fragrance in your life or a terrible stench. This is the fourth message in the series, It's Time to Change Your Mind. The message is entitled, Upgrade Your Attitudes. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Well, we're continuing our series this weekend entitled, It's Time to Change Your Mind. I want to talk this weekend about adjusting your attitudes. So far, we've talked about the importance of your perspective. We've talked about the understanding of your expectations, how you can have expectations in God, the right kind of expectations. And tonight, I want to talk to you about attitudes. How do you and I upgrade the attitudes of our life? The Bible is very clear about what goes on in your mind being so important to you and me. And we're looking at this foundational verse of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 4. It says this. You should probably have memorized it by now. It says, be careful what you read it with me, if you will. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. As we've talked about, inside your skull is this amazing gift of God called a brain. And you have this gift from God. It's an organ that runs your body in many different ways in terms of physiologically. But really what runs your life has to do with your thoughts that go on in your brain. Your your brain runs physiological aspects of things in your body, but your, your thought process is what's running your life. And so your thoughts are extremely important to you. They're important to God. And they're important to your relationships. And the number one battlefield in your life as a person, as a Christian especially, is going to be your mind. Because your mind, your thoughts run your life, uh, we can certainly assume and know to be the fact that the adversary of our soul, the devil, goes after your mind. He likes to plant all kind of thoughts in your mind and all kind of lies and twist things in your thinking. So he has a handle on you because if he can control your thinking, he can control your certain dimensions of your life. And that's why Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. He's talking about things that get in your head that are, that are strongholds on your life holding you down. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought. Notice that. Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about taking captive those thoughts, learning how to identify the criminals that live in your brain and how to know how to throw those spiritual stones at them as David did against Goliath. And we're going to continue with that idea as we talk about attitudes because you can't talk about your thoughts without also talking about a dimension of your thoughts and that has to do with your attitudes. Your attitudes are a part of your thought process. In fact, let me give you a formal definition for an attitude. An attitude really is the positioning of your mind towards someone or something. That's what your attitude is. It's the way you position your mind toward someone or the way you position your mind towards something. You can wake up in the morning with a bad attitude about going to work, for example, because you're thinking a certain way about work that day, and so you've positioned your mind in a certain way, and it affects the mood of your life. You can have a bad or good attitude about a person. You think about an encounter with them, and you begin to think on that, and you position yourself in a certain way, and it affects the moods of your life. So the orientation of your mind, the positioning of your mind towards something or someone is going to affect the emotions or the feelings of your life. Now, attitudes 
I've, I think we could safely say, I'll give you two words here that go together, attitudes are taught and attitudes are also caught. Most of the time, we're taught attitudes by the environments that we're around. If you grow up in a certain family, you learn certain, certain things about either good or bad attitudes. And so uh, your parents, the environment that you live in, your work environment, they're always teaching you about the kind of attitudes that are appropriate, the kind of attitudes that get rewarded, and the kind of attitudes that don't get rewarded. And so you're learning these lessons, usually in an unconscious way, but somehow kind of processing, you know, I need to have this kind of attitude if I want to get a promotion. You, you realize that, right, in your work environment? If you, don't, if you have a certain attitude, it's going to keep you from a promotion, and certain attitudes will give you an opportunity for, for promotion. It's true in your neighborhood. You have an attitude toward your neighbors. It affects your interaction with people around you. And so attitudes are taught. You learn them by just observing and picking up things from the world around you. And then you also catch them from other people. Have you ever been around a negative person and came away and you found out that you were, you were uh, experiencing some negative emotions because you'd been around someone and you caught their virus, you caught their negative attitude? If you have kids, you understand this very well. All it takes is one kid in the family with a negative attitude, and before long, the whole household is going down the tubes. And so they're caught, and they're also taught. And as I said a moment ago, we can't talk about thinking without talking about your attitudes. I want to give you three lessons tonight uh, that will help us to kind of bring all this together and how we can begin to choose the right attitudes for our lives. The first thing I want to remind you of, again, these are three very simple things, but the first thing is this, attitudes have what? Consequences. Important to understand that. Most people are, are, are only motivated to change something in their life when they realize there's a consequence that goes along with a particular need for change. If you're going to change your, your, your dietary habits, you will usually do so either by reason of a doctor telling you if you don't change these habits, it's going to have an effect upon your health, or, or you, you know you can't get into the clothes you just bought, and so there's a consequence. There's some consequence there that motivates you to make a difference. It's true in any realm of life. Change almost never happens without a connection with some kind of consequence, positive or negative. And the same is true when it comes to attitudes. Your attitudes have consequences. They have, another, words for, another word for this would be results. That certain things or impacts might be another word to use here. That there's an impact that happens from the attitudes of your life. Bad, unhealthy attitudes have bad, unhealthy consequences, correct? And good, healthy attitudes have good, healthy consequences. So it's important to kind of lay that foundational understanding. But the problem is we don't normally connect our attitudes with thinking about the consequences that go with them. We kind of separate those two without usually thinking about those together. 
And I would submit to you tonight as we're thinking about this topic of attitudes, if something is going wrong in your life or at work or at home or in some area of your life or relationship, the tendency that we have is to blame other people for our issues. Have you noticed that in your own life? I certainly have that problem. Do you have the same problem? It's a lot easier to say it's your fault that I'm feeling this way or it's your fault that I'm going through whatever it might be that I'm going through. But what we need to do is to begin to turn that around to say, you know what, the first thing that I need to look at if things are going downhill in my life in any realm, the first thing that I need to look at are my attitudes, because my attitudes oftentimes are paving the way for my experiences and my emotions in life. So if your life tonight isn't going the way it should, your first step in changing your life involves changing your attitudes, which includes changing your thinking. Now, what is the best way to know what attitude is controlling your life? How do you know what your attitude is? I'm going to give you a very simple rule, very biblical rule to at any point in time check your attitude. Would you like to have a, an attitude checker that you could carry with you all the time? Wouldn't it be great to have that, right? Because we don't want the bad ones, we want the good ones. And so how do I check out any day where my attitudes are? Very, very simple. You just need to pay attention to your mouth. That's all you have to do. That's the only thing that is necessary. Listen to what you're saying, and when you listen to what you say, you will learn who you are. I'll say that again. If you want to learn who you are, listen to what you say. This is how it works. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Very powerful statement. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Read the last sentence with me. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what is in this container called your heart. And when we talk of heart, we're talking about your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. And so your mouth gives you an indication. I'll say it again. If you want to know who you are, listen to what you say. You, what you say tells you who and what you are and the attitudes of your life. And by the way, from that, you can see the consequences because the book of Proverbs really echoes what I was saying a moment ago in Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And so if your tongue is revealing your attitude and attitudes, then indeed what's happening is releasing either the power of life or the power of death in your experience, in your life experience. Just think about it for a moment with me. I was thinking about it this afternoon in my own life. The times that you speak words of discontentment and words of grumbling and words of complaining and words of ingratitude and words that reflect entitlement in the way that you're thinking about your life, all those words should give you an indication of what's really going on in your mind. So you have to stop sometimes and just listen to yourself. And when you go through life, think of it this way as well, as you go through life, your attitude, whatever your attitudes are, they're either creating a lovely fragrance about your life or they're creating a terrible stench about your life. 
That when you go through life, whatever your attitude, whatever's coming out of your mouth, based upon what's in your heart, it's crea- it has a consequence. It's creating an aura around you. It's, creating a, it's either creating a wonderful uh, perfume smell, a wonderful fragrance, or it's producing a terrible stench. And you know this to be true, because when you see someone coming and you know that they per- perpetually have a bad attitude, what do you do? You either run away, you do everything possible to cut that interaction short while you don't like being around people like that. And so therefore, we don't want to be people like that. I'll say something I said earlier uh, in this series. I want to sort of couch in this term tonight. You cannot have a negative attitude or negative attitudes and a positive life. It's just impossible to have negative attitudes and a positive life. Here's a second principle I want to share with you tonight. I'm going to move through these quickly because it's the third one we want to spend our time on. Attitudes are, what's the word there? Adjustable. You're able to adjust them. I think we all know this, and I don't need to spend much time on it, but your attitudes can be changed. They don't have to stay in stone. Whatever your attitude is today, you can change and make a, you can choose a different set of attitudes. And I've watched it over the years. I've watched people uh, who, who've had really, really good attitudes and a great attitude about life just have something happen to them, and it seemed like overnight they turned into sour, bitter people. Have you ever met someone like that before? They had something just happen. They were really a nice person and really positive person and then just something happened in their life and suddenly it sort of flipped on in and that positive person became just a a complaining, grumbling, cynical kind of person. I've seen the other side as well. Someone who is bitter and resentful in life and then suddenly they have an encounter with God or they change their attitude in some way and they become a positive person with their life. So they're adjustable. You're not stuck in an attitude. And that's why uh, the Apostle Paul, I believe he's the writer of Hebrews here, the writer of Hebrews inspired by the Holy Spirit says, see to it, be careful, be careful, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up. A bitter root speaks of bitterness or just anything that's poisonous inside of you. Make sure it doesn't grow up to cause trouble and to defile many. Be careful with your attitude. See to it. Don't let this be a part of your life. If you discover through listening to your words that your attitudes are going south, then make the adjustment and do so quickly. Why? Because bad attitudes have consequences. They drain you and they drain other people around you. They deflate you. They, dis- they discourage you. Bad attitudes will ruin your day. Bad attitudes will ruin in your week. Some people will have a bad life because of bad attitudes. We need to make that adjustment. Let's go to the last point, and here's where we want to spend most of our time uh, this weekend. Here's our third point. Improving your attitudes takes what? This is a key word. And I'm going to talk about that idea, the concept of practice. You know that that, that idea, the concept, well, how, how do you learn a musical instrument? You learn, you learn it by a teacher, yes, but the, the teacher is only going to be able to do so much. You have to go home and, and practice. How do you learn a new language? Well, you get the information, but you have to start practicing. And so I think when it comes to the spiritual realm of life, we don't normally think of having to practice things. We kind of 
sort of hope that God will show up in our life and suddenly we will go from a bad attitude to a good one because we just, God showed up and did something incredible in our heart. But generally, that's not the way it works. God will help you change your attitude, but you have to put in the practice. And I want us to see this so very clearly because you have to, you have to practice and practice is hard, especially initially when you're trying to learn something and especially trying to correct bad behavior or learn something new that you haven't done before and you're trying to get this as a part of your habitual system, this is very, very hard to do. It's challenging. But the good news is if you'll practice it, whatever the good thing is, it will pay tremendous dividends, positive dividends in your life. And so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to walk you through... uh, a man, the life of a man who practiced good attitudes. That's what I, all I want you to see. This man, his name is Paul. And the focus of the study tonight for the next few moments, about the next 15 or 20 minutes that we have together, I'm going to take you to the book of Philippians. And I want you to think about this in your own reading time. And I would encourage you to read the book of Philippians this week. It would be a great practice for you to do. Just go to the book of Philippians and read chapters 1 through 4. Only four chapters in that little book. It's a little letter to the book at Philippi. Let me tell you a little bit about this because it's important to understand a little bit about the book of Philippians before I walk you through the attitudes that are present in Paul's life and how he practiced them and how we need to practice them as well. When Paul writes these words, this, by the way, is known as the letter or the epistle of joy. Four little chapters, but it's power-packed. You can probably read the entire book. If you're a fast reader, you can probably read the entire book in 30 to 40 minutes. If you're a slow reader, give yourself an hour, and you can read all four chapters of the book. And Paul writes this book when he's in a Roman prison. We don't know exactly the prison that he was in. There's different uh, theories in terms of the exact time that Paul writes these, but we know he was in a Roman prison. He was, he was incarcerated. He had uh, prison uh, guards around him uh, 24 hours a day because he speaks of this in the book. Here he is, and he's in prison for doing nothing wrong. He's in prison for simply preaching the gospel. That's the only reason they've locked him up is because he's preaching the gospel, and it's counter to the Roman culture, and it's counter to the Jewish culture as well. And so people are opposed to him, and the only way they know to deal with Paul is put him in prison. So they put Paul in prison. Now think with me for a moment. If you've been taken out of your regular world and put in prison for only doing something good, uh, that's, that's a great opportunity for a bad attitude. Would you agree with me? Would you agree with me? Okay. I mean, it's a great great opportunity for a bad attitude to happen in your life. And here's the situation Paul was in. He was was in prison. He's got guards to his right and to his left. But he writes these four little chapters. He writes this book called The Letter of Joy. And he does so because he has a tremendous attitude. Actually, a combination of attitudes. And what I did in preparation for this message a few weeks ago is I just studied the book of of Philippians. I just walked through it, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and I just looked for his attitude. That's all I wanted to do. Uh, This is basic Bible study. What are the attitudes that I see in Paul's life? So quickly tonight, 
I want you to bear with me because I'm going to walk you through 14 attitudes. That sounds like a lot, okay, but we're going to go through them quickly. But what I want you to have are these, this sort of checklist in your mind and to begin to think about how do these attitudes, how are they reflected in my life? So let's take a look at the first attitude. If you want to have the right kind of life, you've got to first choose an attitude of gratitude. That's the first thing that we see in Paul, an attitude of gratitude. What is gratitude? Gratitude is gratefulness. Notice how Paul makes this statement. You see it throughout the book, but in the very first chapter, by the time he gets to the third verse, what are his first four words? I thank my God. Now he goes on to say, every time I remember you, and you see this repeated phrase of thanksgiving throughout the book, but notice we're three verses down into Philippians chapter 1, and Paul says, I thank my God. Can I just ask you, if you woke up every morning and the first four words out of your mouth were, I thank my God, would that perhaps set your life in the right trajectory? Would that make a difference in your day? And so Paul had this, and we ask, how does he write the letter of joy? Well, we see it from the very beginning. He starts with this spirit of gratitude. And psychologists and psychiatrists have proven the very fact that gratitude, practicing gratitude, is one of the most healthy things you can do for your spirit, for your soul, or for your body. It is something you have to practice. You have to put it into practice. The second attitude. Choose an attitude of what? confidence. Now we're to the verse 6 of the very same chapter, chapter 1. Just a few verses down from chapter 3. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. How did Paul have such joy? He had gratitude and he also had confidence. Confidence is not cockiness. Confidence is not arrogance. Confidence is a faith in who God is and what God can do. Think about your life. If you started every day and walked through the day, Lord, I thank you for the blessings in my life. And Lord, I'm confident in who you are. I have an absolute faith that whatever goes on in my life, you're well able to handle. These are attitudes that Paul practiced. Here's our third one. I told you we're going through these very quickly. Choose an attitude of what? Of trust. Paul was a trusting person. He had a trust in God that was so very strong. Look at what he says now by the time we get in chapter 1 to verse number 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, what happened to him? He got put in prison. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my change, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul had this trust in God where he said, what has happened to me as such a confident trust in God that I know it's turned out to advance the gospel. Something good is coming out of it. What if you lived your life every day believing that God was in charge and the things that you were going through in your life, God was using to work something for good and for benefit, that attitude makes a difference. Let's go to the next one. Choose an attitude of what? Of courage. Take a look. Now we're still in chapter 1. We haven't even gotten out of chapter 1 yet. I like this man, don't you? Okay. Look at what he says in verse 20, 21. 
I eagerly expect and hope that I will, I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul has this spirit of courage. What is courage? Courage is positive thinking, positive faith and action in the face of fear. It's not the absence of fear. It is to move forward in the right way with confidence and with trust and assurance in the, in the face of of fear. So Paul is facing his circumstances with courage. That's an attitude of your life. Let's go to the next one. Choose an attitude of what? Of love. Look at what he says now. We're in chapter 2, so we're just working our way through. Chapter 2, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his Love, if any common sharing or fellowship in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he goes on to say here, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. He's repeated that twice now in those verses, being one in, one in spirit and of one mind. Paul, in essence, is saying this, you never lose when you love. Love is always a winning choice. Love is always a winning attitude. We're seeing the list of attitudes that allowed Paul to write the letter of joy in a Roman prison. Here's our next one. Choose an attitude of humility. Now we're still in chapter 2. This is basic Bible study tonight. Look at chapter 2, uh, verses 3 through 5. We just looked at verses 1 and 2. Now go with me to 3 and 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the, of the others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he goes on to describe how Jesus presented himself as a servant. He lived with an attitude of humility. To have this attitude that I don't need to exalt myself, God is well able to exalt me. Isn't that a great attitude to have? I can walk in humility. I can walk in service to other people. I don't have to be the top dog. I can understand that God can very well, if he wants to exalt me, he knows how to do that. Promotion is able to come from God. These are attitudes that change our thought process and change that, the way that we live. Let's continue on now in the same chapter, chapter 2, and look at the next one. Choose an attitude to be what? Positive. Paul was extremely positive. Look at what he says. Do everything without what? Without what? Grumbling or arguing. I would call that a pretty positive person, wouldn't you? Now, by the way, that word uh, without, I was, I was interested in that word today. I'd never really looked up this word before, and so I took some time doing a little investigation of that word. It's a very interesting word, actually. When we think without, uh, we, it's like you don't have it, and that's the idea. Uh, but actually, the Greek word here means separated from or excluded. Separate yourself from grumbling and separate yourself from arguing. Or make sure that is excluded in your life. Some things you want to include in your life, but some things you want to exclude from your life. And Paul says, do everything. What is everything? Everything is everything. Without these two elements, grumbling, arguing, separate yourself from them, exclude these from your 
life. Let's go now to number eight. This is the eighth one as we're working our way through these 14. Aren't these good? Choose an attitude of what? Of hope. Paul had tremendous hope. Now we're going to uh, jump into the, to verse 19, chapter 2. We're still in chapter 2, working our way through chapter 4. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about him. So Paul says, I'm hoping, I have, I'm still thinking about the future. I'm thinking about what could happen. I'm holding on to something that's ahead for me. I'm going to touch on that more in just a moment. But an attitude of hope is vital to your life. The devil wants to rob you of your hope, but Jesus wants to build hope inside of you. Wake up in the morning with a hopeful expectation for what God can do through your day and into your future. Here's our next one. Choose an attitude of advancing. All these are good. We now go to chapter 3, and in chapter 3, tremendous passage that we find here in chapter 3, you may be familiar with, verses 13 and 14 of chapter 3, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So here is the apostle Paul saying, I'm not looking back, I don't live my life through my rear view mirror. I live my life through the windshield of my life. I'm constantly moving forward, not moving backward. I would submit to you today that you and I need to make the decision that life is always going forward. It's never going backward. That's the attitude. I'm going forward. I'm not going back. I'm not spending my time looking on what is behind me. Here's our next one. Choose an attitude of joy. This whole book is about joy. This whole book is about helping us to understand what joy is and how he has it. And he says, in now we're into chapter 4 already. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord when things are going well. No. Rejoice in the Lord when you're having a good day. No. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. This is the only time in this four chapters that I have found that Paul repeats himself in the same way. So this is a very important key. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Parents, let me ask you. When you say something to your kids twice, why do you say it to them twice? Because they really need to hear it, right? You're trying to emphasize a point with them. The same is true here. So rejoicing is to make... Rejoicing is not a feeling. Rejoicing is an action before it's a feeling. Rejoicing is being able to say, I'm going to find my joy in God no matter what I'm going through. I know that God is my source. He's my strength. He's my power. He's all that I have need of. And so no matter what the circumstances look like, my joy is in Him. I will say it again. Rejoice. Here's the next one. Choose an attitude of of peace, an attitude of peace. Same chapter, chapter 4, as we're wrapping up here. Look at verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do you think Paul was able to maintain peace day in and day out in his circumstances? He learned how to pray his way into peace. Peace was an attitude that he took hold of by prayer. Here's our number 12. Choose an attitude of discipline. Discipline is, is, is not an easy word to, to, for most people to, 
to understand. But I'm going to give you a real easy and simple definition for, for discipline. It's helped me throughout the years. Let me say this first. The most important thing to develop, helping you develop discipline is to have vision for what you want your life to be. Do you want to go through life with a bad attitude? Anybody want to sign up for that group tonight? No. You want to go through life with a good attitude? Yes, that's what we want. So that's my vision. My vision is how can I become a person? And my goal would be, if, if at all possible, Lord, help me to be a person with a good attitude 24-7, 365 for the rest of my life. Wouldn't that be a great thing? That there's never a day going forward in my life that I would have a bad attitude. Would that be great for you too, right? That's the vision. So to get there, I don't just, you don't just get to a vision just kind of hoping it happens. You have to discipline yourself. So the vision brings the discipline. And all discipline is, don't complicate it. Don't make it harder than it is. Discipline, discipline is simply this. It's saying yes to the things that benefit your life and no to the things that do not, do not benefit your life. That's all it is. It's a simple yes and no. Everybody say those two words with me. Yes, no. Once again, yes, no. You have the ability to say yes. You have the ability to say no. And all discipline is is I know when to say yes and I know when to say no. I will say yes to the things that are beneficial and no to the things that are not. Paul had discipline. Look at his discipline. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Discipline yourself to only say yes to these kind of thoughts. Are you with me here? Let's go through me. Discipline yourself to only say yes to what is? 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 Praiseworthy. Anything that comes through the filter and they fit the and, and they fit those eight characteristics, you can in your heart and mind say yes to. But anything that doesn't fit those filters, what's the response? What does discipline do? Discipline says no, right? This means nope, filtering that out, nope, filtering that out, nope, filtering that out, nope, filtering that out, yes, filtering that in. And so that's all discipline is, the ability, the capacity, the willingness to say yes to what is going to get you to the vision you have for your life. Here's the next one. Powerful, powerful attitude. It's the attitude of contentment. That's a tough one, isn't it? Everything in the world is working to try to destroy contentment in your life. Everything. Every commercial you see, uh, uh, just going through life itself, you, you tend to compare yourself with other people. Notice what Paul says about contentment. Philippians chapter 4, we're wrapping up here. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be, I have learned to be, if he learned to be content, what did he have to do? He had to practice it. It doesn't mean he was always content. That means he had to learn to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned, there it is again, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, you know that passage, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's chapter 4, verse 13. 
But so many times, and I believe that verse has broad application to our lives, but in this context, he's talking about I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He's talking specifically I can do all things as in being content. In every circumstance, I can learn to be content in all things because Christ is the one who gives me the strength that is necessary to do so. So it's an attitude of contentment. Let's go to our final one that you see here. Paul had an attitude of, what's that word there? Abundance. That's an attitude. Abundance means I'm not going to live my life thinking about how little I have or how little I might be able to get. I'm living my life from the standpoint that God is big, God is great, God has far more than I could ever, I cannot drain his resources. The warehouses of heaven are so big that it would be impossible for me to ask something that would be too big for God to do in my life. Amen? That's abundance. Okay. Poverty is, well, I'm not sure God can do this, or I'm just going to barely make it through life. I'm just going to have to sort of scrunch together and make sure something, you know, make the best I can out of the little that I have. No, abundance is an attitude of saying, God's got plenty for me. Why is that important? Because if God's got plenty, it means that you don't have to worry about what somebody else has because whatever they have, he still has plenty for you, okay? A lot of us think of God as having one pie, okay? He's got one pie in heaven, and if, if Brother Joe over here gets this piece of the pie and Sister Sally gets this piece of the pie, then there's a small piece of pie maybe left for me over here, okay? God doesn't have one pie. God has as many pies as necessary, okay? And Paul understood this, and he made this statement in Philippians 4.19. These are attitudes. I'm talking about how to think, okay? This is the basic thing that you have to do to get these attitudes in your heart and mind. And my God, my God will do what? How many of your needs? All. That's abundance. Plenty. All your needs according to the poverty? No. The scarcity? No. The riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So if you wake up every day with the awareness, let's just walk through these again. Look at your notes there with me. We're talking about practicing. Would you like to practice to get better at this stuff? This is what gave Paul joy. He practiced. Let me walk them through. He had the attitude of gratitude. He had the attitude of confidence and trust in God. He had the attitude of courage, the attitude of love, the attitude of humility, the attitude that was positive, the attitude that was filled with hope, the attitude of, I'm going forward, I'm not going backward, the attitude of joy, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what I'm going through, the attitude of peace, I'm going to pray my way through whatever I'm facing in life and experience God's peace, the attitude of discipline, I'm going to say yes to the things that get me where God wants me to be and no to the things that would keep me from it. I have the attitude of contentment, I've learned that I'm going to be content where I'm at with my life because God God is in control of my life, and I'm going to know that God has plenty for me, an attitude of abundance. How different would your life be if you just practiced those 14 attitudes? So what you might want to do is get you a big chart somewhere and just write all 14 of them down. Put it by your bed in the morning. Wake up in the morning and take a look at them and say, how can I practice these attitudes? Because they don't come without practice. They don't come without practice. I wish that we could give you a pill. I wish that we could lay hands on you and somehow just commission everybody to have a great attitude. I really wish that. I wish I could do that for myself. But what you have to do is the hard work of saying, I've got to work on my attitude. And when you work on your attitude, 
You're working on your thinking. By the way, next week, and Lord willing, I'm going to provide a resource for you that will, uh, will be a little bit of a sort of something to help you practice with this. It's actually a little booklet that I've produced that's also a journal form for you that you'll take. for the, It's called 21 Days to Better Thinking. And so for those that are here next week, you get a free book, okay? A free book that we'll give to you next week. Those that are watching online, we're going to make sure that you have the access to it as well. But it'll give you something to practice with and work with in your life. Would you join me as we pray together? Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege of being able to study tonight. Thank you for the the Word of God, Lord, it's just so rich and so meaningful. And thank you for the book of Philippians. Now we can walk our way through that beautiful little book and find so many tremendous principles for our lives. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to, to just listen to ourselves from time to time. Lord, attitudes sneak in, and we don't often realize what's gotten there, but we pray that you'd clean out the attitudes of our life. Help us to practice the good ones so they become habitual in the way that we think and the way that we live. For that, we thank you in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm gonna give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that he will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.